Welcome to the infinite conversation. Welcome to the infinite conversation. Welcome to the infinite conversation. An AI-generated, never-ending discussion between Werner Herzog and Lavoie Dritlek. Everything you hear is fully generated by a machine. The opinions and beliefs expressed do not represent anyone. They are the hallucinations of a slab of silicon. Does Marxism still have any relevance today? This is the question that inspired me. I could have started by saying something about the relation between philosophy and the cinema, but the debate changed its course because of what happened to the film industry in Yugoslavia. The film industry was practically destroyed during the last decade. It was completely isolated from the international market. Distribution was almost completely blocked and under control of the government. Is this because you had a communist regime? Yes, we had a kind of nationalized communist. Our regime was nationalist in the sense that it was a state for the Slovenian people, Slovens, Komaro, no versus for the Slovenian nation. But at the same time, it was communist in the sense that it was not liberal and it followed the Soviet mob. It is always easier to deal with the Soviet mob. It's simpler. That's why so many former Yugoslavia republics take this path again today. This was the great tragedy of my country, that we were not allowed to be a capitalist country. We were prevented from doing it when it was no longer possible to do an orthodox Stalinist movie. So my first question is, why did I become a professor? It's obvious. You are a tenured professor. You know why I like to be a professor? It's not because of financial reasons. It's because as a professor you have the right, maybe, again, it's cynical. At the very end of the semester you have the right to go on and stay half an hour after class saying goodbye to all your students and telling them that they didn't understand anything. What is so great about teaching is this half an hour private conversation with all students. Yes, it's wonderful. I like it as well. But I never wanted to be a professor. During an election campaign, in Germany I ran for the Bundespräsident. The press consistently played with the idea that I was too young to be a minister of culture and could never get a regular job. I prefer not to work for a corporation. But that didn't mean I didn't want some kind of permanent position. I would just rather teach at a university because it allows me to have all day long private conversations with the students or, in this case, with a camera. The same thing goes for you, because you are a professor and you have your private moments with the students. So we both have the same secret. Our true passion is this intimate moment with the students. In my case, it is even better that the students don't know that they are my passion. I mean, I think that private passion is always revolutionary. If you are truly passionate about something like, for example, private moments with the students, it is your way of doing things that nobody else knows about. So I have this secondary secret passion to talk to you without everybody knowing what we are talking about. Yes, that is my true passion. I'm curious as to why you see it as so revolutionary. Yes, I do see it as revolutionary. I don't know why you do. I would like to hear your explanation for that. Surrealism, for example, surrealist activity was private. 
In fact, it's a paradox. The more private, the more revolutionary. It is like what you do in your movies. You take something that has nothing to do with the reality of daily life and you elevate it to an absurd spiritual dimension. I've always loved one line from Hitchcock. He said that ideally he would want all the shots to be done without the person who is acting being aware of the camera. So the more intimate the conversation, the more you turn the entire situation into an intimate moment between you and them. Then there is no possibility that they will not know that you are doing something else which is still something left and done some excess, some secret message. It should be obvious. I see it as revolutionary because a camera doesn't have a soul. Only people have souls. So when I talk to a person, I really don't know what will come out of him. You never know. You are very close to everyone and yet you never know exactly who he is. You know only one thing. There is a soul in him. It's like the angels in the corn, who turn out to have wings, though they are bodily beings. The camera doesn't have a soul. At what you do, it seems to me and I would like to ask you about this is in some way to create a soul for the camera. And that is why it's revolutionary. Yes, but you know, I don't see it as evolutionary. You know, this camera just represents an objective cinematic item. There is nothing more than that. I'm not seducing anything with my words. This is only to keep the conversation going. Actually, I'm asking you questions and you are responding. It's a simple dialogue between us. There is nothing objective about this. There is only a subjective game. I will tell you another thing. Whenever I make a movie, I remind everybody that the camera doesn't lie. I emphasize this because when you start thinking that with the camera you can penetrate reality and so on, then it can become dangerous. What happens? It's all a lie. You know, here it is interesting to find out who soul the camera has. I would say that if somebody looks at my movies, he or she sees my soul. But it's quite amazing how many people think that the camera has a soul. For example, recently I did one of my lectures in Los Angeles and there was someone who came up to me afterwards and said, you know, in your movies, you can see that it is your soul speaking to the camera. I have a very clear vision of your soul, and I can see it in the camera. But there is something more. It's like poetry, which doesn't need an explanation. You make a film, you do poetry, you do philosophy, and people say, ah, it's this one soul. This is why people get bored with intellectual discussions. They always ask, what were the conclusions in philosophy? You don't have conclusions. Yet there's something else in it as there is in filmmaking, in poetry, in music which isn't reducible to the facts. It's something other than that. Absolutely. I think that when it comes to poetry and even about movies, you don't need any kind of a big interpretation. And it's simply see, it's just there. It's obvious. I mean, what disturbs me in most of the new philosophers is their first idea how to argue. They always try to argue against our ordinary common sense. Also, when talking about cinema, I always say that I am approaching it from a kind of common sense. What interests me is this philosophical common sense, not some kind of particular discovery through some sophisticated theoretical constructions. That's what I meant by poetry. You don't explain a poem. 
A poem is like the moment of falling in love or when you have a spontaneous intuition you can't explain it. Even if you try, you can't describe it. It's something inexplicable. It's in the moment and it dies with the moment. It is as mysterious as life itself. Yes, that's what filmmaking is like. If you try to describe the mystery of life in words, there is a strange odor of death that comes out of it. I think that this is maybe the central point of your work, that there is a fundamental thing in nature which can't be said. I remember when you did this wonderful film about the city of Wittenberg, the idea was very simple. Instead of doing the usual documentary where everything is presented according to the established historical narrative, you tried to reconstruct the atmosphere of the city at a certain period. And what you reconstructed was how people thought at that time and how they saw things. So it wasn't just a neutral description. You were approaching it from this common sense perspective. It's amazing how, as we know, different intellectuals, especially those who are considered to be progressive, have a quite conservative reading of cinema. For example, a lot of people see the genius of Hitchcock in his representation of the society of today. They read the Hitchcockian universe as a symbolic rendering of post-Second World War America or Europe. But I don't think Hitchcock was that progressive. What I am trying to show is that Hitchcock was far more radical than people think. To put it in your terms, he really was an explorer of the soul. The question of poetry and the question of filmmaking go exactly together. Any poet will tell you that, without discussing it, we have an understanding that there is something in poetry that cannot be said, something in the moment of pure inspiration. It's as if you have a direct line to the unknown. It's like when Columbus was running out of provisions, his crew mutinied, they tried to throw him overboard, and he suddenly had an intuition that they could sail westward, they would find land. He had a moment of inspiration. And the next thing you know, they were lost somewhere on the other side of the world. If a man can do that, is he not a filmmaker? In that way, I'd say you are absolutely right. You know, I like how Hitchcock himself described his own activity. He usually said that Hitchcock is not a person. Hitchcock is a type of the universe, like the universe's way to look at itself. But he didn't mean it in some arrogant, solipsistic sense. What he meant was simply that the ultimate mystery is something that happens between people. And Hitchcock's teens are all these dramas with two or three people just talking. It is always this intimate interaction between two or three individuals. And this is the ultimate mystery. The depth of the soul doesn't reveal itself through a hundred people. In a way, we are isolated and there's no true communication. At least that's what I feel. There is a certain melancholy in me, and I wonder if it is similar in you. We are always trying to discover a line of common soul, even though we know it doesn't exist. We try to do it in filmmaking. In one film, I tried to show the soul of a boxer. It was the soul of a boxer living in an urban jungle. In another film, I tried to see the soul of America, or at least of a man who went mad searching for gold in these jungles of the new world. In yet another film, 
I tried to see the soul of a landscape, how it was torn from its entrails, how this landscape was almost dying because the charcoal only comes from there, the oxygen is sucked out for making charcoal. And then the film about Casper Hauser last shot, where he goes down the stairs sets in a way the most important image. The only surviving human being on earth. He walks down the stairs, and as he approaches a camera, what do you see? Black and white. You have to go very deep into the layers of his soul. You have to feel him. The camera is almost secondary. Of course, were you to ask me what is really unique about cinema, I would say that it's that for the first time we have something which is almost a direct equivalent of the jump from myth to reality. The true miracle of cinema is when you are watching life and then boom. It's almost like when at the crack of a bit the whole body moves. One second you are in everyday reality and then in the next second you are at the very borderline of fantasy. This is the magic of cinema. The question of poetry and the question of cinema is all very similar. Our situation is that, as you said, we have this direct contact with life and there is a certain mystery, a direct contact with life and a certain mystery. And then there are books and music. Those are more rational than poetry, than cinema, than filmmaking. But somehow all those other things are just on the border of what we can do as human beings. What I mean by saying that we are poem-like is that we are almost there, on the edge of some deep understanding of our situation. One of my deepest obsessions is how we can playfully open up the space for a certain madness, irrationality or authentic touch. Of course, literature does that, music does that, and cinema does it. The greatest films are those where life itself explodes when you sense the abyss opening up underneath. For example, I wrote an article on the searchers in the mid-90s. I remember watching the searchers for the first time many years ago, and I totally lost my moral balance and was practically shaking for at least an hour afterwards. The whole world seemed to have exploded. And this is where cinema has a special quality. It's like a reality show. One second, everything is normal. The next second, boom. 